Welcome to the latest Savings Guru podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Claire Framrose from Atom Bank. Claire's the Head of Proposition Design and Savings. Um, Claire, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. I'm looking forward to this one and talking to you more about Atom and and what you've been up to. I guess for a starting point, it'd be great to go through a bit of your background. I, I think you were one of the first employees to join Atom. Can you tell us a bit more about Kind of you, your background, and and how you came to get involved so early with them. Yeah, sure. So I've worked in various other sectors, but I did join Atom from Virgin Money, so I've got some some background in financial services. And I joined the business in December 2014, so it was very early on. There were around 30 employees when I came in, and uh, oh, it was great. There was such a buzz about the fact that we were building a bank from scratch. There was this kind of race in the market as opposed to be the first of the new challenges to secure a license and and of course we did that and I suppose thinking about how things are now in comparison with that well instead of 30 there are now around 430 of us wow so yeah quite quite a period of growth Um, but what's stayed at Atom is the the energy the real desire to innovate uh, and collaborate But actually, the one key thing that attracted me to Atom and is still very much dominant is the fact that the customer's genuinely at the heart of everything that we do. It's really interesting you kind of talk there about the the change in employee numbers and and you you mentioned there about uh, having the customer. How do you achieve that when you you grow so sharply? How do you get everyone bought into that that ethos? Because it's quite easy when you've got 30 people to communicate that. But when you start ramping up those kind of numbers and you know, obviously you're still growing, how do you how do you kind of keep that focus? It doesn't just all happen in one go. So we didn't go from 30 to 430 in one jump. That would have been really cool. challenging. It kind of creeps up on you, I suppose. So you go from 30 to 50 and then suddenly it's 120. And at every stage, I think what we've done is check in very much from a people experience side of things and we have a really great people experience team that help to bring us together culturally and make sure that we all have uh, similar values and similar focus and I suppose part of that comes from the way that we recruit people into Atom as well so of course it's important to make sure that people are technically able to do their jobs but we also focus on how people work and their approach and their attitude so that we know we're bringing like-minded people into the business. And it doesn't feel like 430 people. It still feels, it's a bit of a cliche, but like a small family where everybody's pulling together to do the best for the customer. That's really hard to to achieve. So that, that's impressive that you're, you're continuing to do that. I mean, you've taken quite a different approach from, from day one, haven't you? I mean, you, you launched an app-only savings proposition um you know in 2016 when the the market was kind of renowned for for being uh, an older demographic and you you know you had what well, i am as a strategic advisor as well at the time so very very kind of different um approach to, to t- tackling the market what what was kind of behind that what why did you go down that kind of those kind of directions well I think it's important to kind of acknowledge that we set out a a very clear strategic business model early on and we've kind of stayed true to that. So we wanted to establish a really strong balance sheet and a strong reputation for being a savings and lending bank. Um, So, yeah, the first product that we launched was Fixed Saver. Um, But interestingly, we've always thought that age isn't as relevant as mindset and 
What we've seen in response to that is a hugely positive response from a range of demographic groups. I mean, you know, we've had customers aged from 18 through to 100 using the app. Um, so, yes, there's that older group. But actually, tech has become so widespread and so accessible that I think as long as we make sure that the digital experience is straightforward and that people can use it, they will find us and they will use it. And that's certainly evident in the the range of demographics that we've seen. Now, Will I answered an interesting question because he was brought in to provide our board with a different perspective. So, of course, he doesn't have a background in financial services, but what he does have, which a number of people don't realize, is various interests in tech innovation. So one of the things that he did was talk with us and provoke our thinking about the future of digital changing technology. We've had some really great debates there about biometrics and uh, data bias. And he just brought that different, fresh perspective that helped to provoke some of that thinking amongst our board and, and the wider business. I think you're right. I, I hadn't appreciated how heavily invested in that sector he was until he, he joined you and then kind of just sort of thought initially, well, that's, a, that's an interesting move. What's behind that? And you kind of look into him a bit more about what he's done. And he has got a um, you know, he's clearly been an incredibly successful individual. He has, he's got a huge number of investments and a real interest and passion in that area, hasn't he? Mm. It's interesting because when you talk about Will I Am, people, most people think about uh, the music side of things, of course, yeah. especially since he's been on The Voice in the last few years. But he does have a really interesting perspective, and he came from a very underprivileged background, so he uh, is very aware of the importance of financial education, especially for young people. Um, and that's something that we talked with him about, as well as the, the kind of tech innovation side of things. He did a great show on the the uh, FinTech Insiders podcast as well. That was was interesting to hear. hear yeah, I was hear. on that with him. <laughs> yes, yes, you were. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. You were. Um, yeah, that, that, was, that was a really interesting listen, uh, mm. finding out more about that side. I'm sure that there was also a lovely halo effect off of him because because he is such a well-known personality in in other areas of his his life you know the music side and the voice and TV one of the things that's a big thing for new savers is uh having the um the FSCS protection uh you know it's something that's important when you're a new bank it provides some reassurance but it's not the only thing that savers look at it's not uh you know it's not simply a case of if you've got that, everything else is fine. You know, savers look beyond that at other things as well. How how have you gone about gaining that trust in the in the savings market? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think you're right. The FSCS is is almost a proxy for trust. It it gives a bit of a safety net, um, but nobody wants to fall back on it. So, how do you establish trust? Uh, trust has to be earned, doesn't it? You know, whether that's with a, a business that you're going to as a consumer or, or just in your everyday relationships. So I do think that there's something in that old mantra that actions speak louder than words. I think that's really relevant here. Um, we have, as I've said, we, we genuinely put customers at the heart of our proposition design. We listen to them. We adapt our approach to meet their needs. We are very honest and transparent with our customers. And actually, I think the fact that we're willing to admit it when we make a mistake and we're constantly striving to be better means that people connect with us in that way. Uh, one yeah. of my reflections over the years has been that actually it's really interesting that although we're an app-only bank, 
we're quite often seen to demonstrate a greater level of humanity and kindness than some of the incumbents who have branches and contact centers and face-to-face contact with their customers. And I think that's because we set out very early on with some clear principles to be honest and transparent and genuine with customers. And we've stuck to that. I think you can see that looking at uh, things like your Trustpilot ranking and your, you know, some of the feedback you get, you get mm. there. Uh, that that comes that comes through. Uh, I, I did a, a, a piece of research recently on customer services rankings from a savings perspective, and I was pleasantly surprised how highly you you scored there. I, I think when you're working with you know new tech, sometimes it's actually difficult to un, to get used to the the tech and rather than the problems with the tech or the journey etc itself um but you've you know you've clearly nailed that looking at your your high scores you've obviously made a number of iterations to the app you don't put an app out there and then you know leave it and 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 uh and off you go what kind of feedback have you had from customers that kind of made you decide to to you know to continue to upgrade and to change that because you know having having gone through your journey um, in the early days to having done it more recently there's significant changes and improvements it's a much more pleasant experience to go through the app now than than it was a lot harder in my opinion in the early days what what feedback have you had how have you kind of what's been your approach to to taking that on board and deciding you know what's valid and and integrating and what's not it's a really good question james and and it's about the things that we want to do but more importantly the things that that customers want from us and tell us about customers are, are as you know customers are always very interested in sharing feedback and and telling us the things that work for them and the things that don't work for them now Of course, we can't put out a new app release every time somebody wants us to change uh, one little thing, but we spend a lot of time analysing customer feedback, customer verbatims. We have an existing customer group that we uh, test ideas with and talk to, um, and we try and uh, run as much user testing as we can before we ever launch anything in the app. Of course, tech change also influences app releases, so... We know that there are some really important things to customers. Uh, Things like security and privacy are becoming increasingly more dominant in customers' minds. So we need to make sure that the app is always uh, up to scratch with that. Now, that might not always be visible to customers, but those releases are really important because they underpin everything that we do. But then listening to customers and what works for them and what doesn't is is really important those feedback loops work to our advantage because they make the journeys better and slicker and easier for customers and it means that we meet their expectations better so one example of that was uh, as we said the first product we launched was our fix saver and subsequent to that of course we launched a maturity process which was in the app so savings customers reaching maturity, can go into the app and give us their instructions uh, in just a few minutes. And we had a really positive response to that, but we also had some suggestions on how it could be easier and more straightforward. So we took those and we looked at the emerging themes that were coming through and we adjusted the journey. And as a result of that, we've had really positive response from customers saying, oh, this is so much better than last time I did it. And 
that's a process that we actively involve. Um, you know, you hear people in tech talking about an agile approach all the time. Well, this is agile in real life because this is about building something and then iterating it based on what customers tell you and what you see yourself in terms of your interactions with them. Do you think there's a kind of uh, almost like a forgiveness in the early days from from people if you engage with them that they they kind of feel part of the journey so they'll they'll maybe forgive some of the the things not being quite there because that they can see that you're trying and you're listening and you're evolving and that that things are are, are changing for the better as a result because they're engaged yeah absolutely and and not even just in the early days actually so i think that customers who are quite innovative and forward looking those who kind of jumped into the fintechs quite early on as customers were very open to that and very flexible and adaptable, especially, as you say, if they could see that they've told you something and you've adapted to it. But even now, the fact that we've established such strong trust and engagement with our customers means that even now when we make mistakes, they're more forgiving. Part of that is because we turn around and say, sorry, we messed up, we're fixing it. Whereas, you know, some other businesses might choose to say, oh, no, 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 nothing to see here. But I think it's also because customers believe that we are genuinely trying to do the best for them. So, yeah, maybe more forgiving, but maybe just, you know, they see that humanity and, and they're prepared to connect with us on that level. Your approach has been really successful. Obviously, you've, you've announced some, some pretty significant milestones recently, primarily one billion of savings on your, your instant saver account. Um, and that's been achieved in a really short period of time. Uh, is, is it down to that kind of customer um, approach and embracing the customer that you, you've achieved that? Or are there other things as well that have, have contributed to that? Well, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say that offering competitive rates is a part of it, because, of course, that influences customer decision making. But I do think it's all the things we've just talked about. It's about the reputation that we've established. It's about the fact that our our products do what they say they're going to do. So one of the most common pieces of feedback we've received since we launched that product last September is we've called it the instant saver and it is instant. And that's what customers tell us. So they like the fact that if they make a transfer in or out of it, it is there straight away. They don't have to wait till the next day. They, you know, instant means instant. And this is what I mean about the transparency is about trying to keep our promises and do what we say we're going to do so that we meet or exceed customers expectations i think that's a really interesting point on the the instant bit there i've been involved with clients where it isn't quite instant it's uh you know a a time to process and payment to run at certain points in the day and sometimes explain to people that actually that's not enough for customers that the sums of money that are involved here are are large people don't like it disappearing out of uh, one account and not being able to see it in the other account in a short period of of time they'll give you a, a little while but you know they expect it to be there pretty quickly in this day and age and to be able yeah. to see it and if they can't they will phone you uh, for reassurance that it hasn't gone astray in the in the ether yeah i agree with you and there's this you know we are we are in i suppose this always on culture where everybody expects everything instantly you know even if it takes two seconds to load a web page you start getting annoyed with it so yeah. but then you know what don't call it instant if it's not instant and and I think that I think that a lot of the incumbents are starting to recognise that and they're adapting their approach on that basis because 
if you call it easy access and you give easy access, that's one thing. But if you call it instant, you have to make sure it is instant. Um, language matters and it influences people's responses to you. So we think very carefully about all of these things. By my maths now, you must be pushing towards about three billion in total savings, just kind of looking at kind of what you've done and previous announcements or where you're you're at. What what's next then for, for you and Atom? What what uh what have you got in the pipeline in terms of, you know, changes to, to how you do business or new products coming down the line that you can share with us? We're very focused on the lending side of the business. We've been involved in some of the government-backed lending schemes for business lending customers in the last year or so. And we're still very focused on uh, mortgage customers and trying to give them a really good deal. From the savings side, though, innovation f- from a savings perspective for Atom isn't about adding complexity to products or adding features to accounts just for the sake of it. It's about the experience that we give our customers. It's about making it as smooth as possible so that they don't have to ring the contact center. So we spend a lot of time thinking and talking about how we can enhance that experience. We've got a couple of things in the pipeline that I can't really talk about right now uh, or share with you, but watch this space because hopefully in the next few months, you'll see some new things starting to come out in the app, some new features that you can find some benefits from. Yeah. Okay, great. I should look forward to seeing what you've got in store. It is quite hard to differentiate in in savings. A few have had a go, not many. But actually, if you're not going to differentiate, then actually it is about making it as simple as possible and making it as easy to do business as possible. And I think you can you can see a lot of that in the providers that are more successful. There's generally been a focus on taking away pain points for customers rather than necessarily trying to do something that looks really snazzy or super duper but but actually just focus on getting the basics right and doing them really really well Mm. yeah i agree you know at their heart savings products are really pretty straightforward and i think over time some people in the financial services industry in the past have have had ideas that they think customers are like but they didn't necessarily ask the customers if they wanted them. And so sometimes products uh, evolve and become bigger than they need to. And actually what customers want in this space is something that's really straightforward, easy to use, easy to understand. They don't want to have to give a lot of thought to this stuff. They want to be able to make clean and and straightforward choices. So as you say, making products as, as straightforward and simple as possible and enhancing the way customers can interact with them through the experience is really at the heart of what we're trying to do. We should talk about the the new entrance to the market as well. You mentioned that you know Atom were one of the earlier ones, but we've seen quite a number of them come into the space since it was made a lot easier after the global financial crisis. Uh, and I, I kind of say that sometimes slightly tongue-in-cheek as someone who's been through the process with a, um, supporting a number of banks. Yeah, I don't think anyone ever would call it easy, but easier than by historical standards. Uh, we saw Crew got authorised in, in the last uh, week or so. I think that's the 33rd new entrant now that's come into the market since the changes were were made what impact does that have on what Atom does? Do you kind of follow that? Are you looking at who's coming and what they're bringing to the market or are you focused on what you're doing and just not pay too much attention to what else is going on? Oh, no, of course. We always look at what's happening in the wider market. Um, competition is one of the key influences in, in what you do. You need to make sure that you're... You, 
you're pegging with your competitors from a from a hygiene factor level. So customers' expectations shift, um, and we've certainly seen that in the last few years when it comes to both savings accounts and app-based banking in general. But my opinion is that a competitive market is is a healthy market. It means that there's room there and it gives customers more choice. Now, the key there is to make sure that those choices are straightforward for them and they're made easy. So adding complexity through choice is something that we across the industry need to try and avoid. But adding a, a good, healthy competition can only be a good thing for customers. Of course, it has an impact on us because competition sharpens your instincts, I suppose, doesn't it? And so it has meant that we have really focused on on holding firm to the principles that we've got. Uh, And that goes back to all the stuff we've already talked about. So the way we design, the way we launch, the way we iterate our savings products and our experiences to make sure that they are fresh and up to date and they're always easy for customers to navigate so that those choices are straightforward for them and they can see their way through that competitive market and if we're right for them they will choose us one of the criticisms that's been leveled at at the new entrant banks is that they haven't significantly dented the market share of the incumbents they're you know they're still not dissimilar to before the 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 influx of, of new banks why do you think that might be and and do you think that's going to change well i think i think it's probably fair to reflect on the fact that customers are starting to choose more than one provider for savings so in the past when there was more limited choice they might just have said oh look i've got my current account with bank x i'll just open up a savings account and have everything in one place now i think a lot of consumers continue to keep those types of savings accounts open, even, let's say, when they're not getting particularly good interest rates on them. But I think a lot of the time they also go and look further afield and they might actually choose to spread their savings across a number of providers. And I think that that can only be good for for customers and good for banks like us. I think what we need to do is, is encourage customers to take a more active role in assessing the way in which they look at their interest rates and whether they really are getting the most for their money. And I think that there's a real opportunity across the industry to look at that. But I do think that even if those new banks haven't taken the market share, I think we've made them sharpen their perspective. So even before the COVID pandemic started driving increasing numbers of customers to digital banking, and we know it's done that, But even before that, the quality of app-based banking improved significantly. And I believe that that's because the incumbents had to keep up with the higher standards that were being set by people like Atom. We were coming in and showing customers what was possible. And as a result of that, customers' expectations increased and they demanded more from the incumbents. Now that is a threat to those banks. So they have to keep pace and they've had to invest significant sums of money in keeping their apps up to scratch so that they're giving customers what they want and need for fear of losing them. So I think I think there are different perspectives on this and it's quite a complex topic. It's not all just about market share. It's about uh, changing the face of the market and changing the thinking within financial services. And hopefully as we go forward, 
changing the way that customers are able to interact and engage with some of the decisions that they're making so that they can start um, being more proactive and I suppose generating better outcomes for themselves in the most easy way. Those are really interesting points. I I think it can be easy to look at statistics and say what's really changed. One of the criticism leveled at at Monzo is you've got all those customers but not really making money out of them so almost like what's the point but I I think you're right I think a lot of the new entrants have have done a huge amount to actually improve what's been on offer from the incumbents and and I'm not sure we would have necessarily innovated themselves without that. I think they all had digital programs underway uh, yes you know five years ago that's eight years ago they were all starting to look at this they were definitely um, building online journeys but the the change in app-based banking has really moved at pace and if you think back I don't know maybe three years and you think about what you might have got on your current account with Santander or Barclays or HSBC or whoever it is that you bank with and then someone like Monzo's come along and said to customers this is what you should be getting in an app. Well, those customers are then going back and saying, hang on a minute. Hey, big bank, why can't I add a new payee in my app? I should be able to do that. You've got security in place. Why can't I do that? Why are you forcing me to go online to do it? Or worse still, come into a branch to do some of these things. So they have really shifted their perspective on that. And I think they've all increased their commitment, the resource and the budget that they've put behind the app development. And that in itself is a good thing. You know, that's a success for the challenger banks. We came in to disrupt the market and we've done that. I think it's going to be a fascinating one to see how it plays out. I think another another thing that I was kind of say to people is you have to remember that some of the incumbents that are there have had, you know, over 300 years of, of, of building to, to this. Uh, you can't expect companies that have been around for less than five years to to undo all of that in in an instant that it will take time and it's a, it will be an evolution rather than a revolution um, yeah I agree we're just little babies aren't we <laughs> well we yeah you, we are aren't you if you think it in in that sense and i think this is it's in the savings market this is this is kind of quite quite interesting if you look at the kind of growth of the the savings market in in general actually most of the 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 new entrance club together actually their their appetite for new savings currently is less than that growth in the market so actually structurally it makes it quite difficult for them to to take market share because they don't they don't need it um so i think you know that that's something that will change as as the industry grows if you if you like as you know we we've talked about some your your milestones um you know as you push through from three billion to five billion to you know ten billion maybe and onwards then there'll be a you know there'll be a greater appetite there and and uh, and you'll be able to take more as will each and uh, every one of the new participants hopefully too so um i i think there's more to more to come yeah i think uh i think 2021 judging it is it's hard to call i think it will look very different by say 2030 when when most of those have had 15 years maybe 20 years in 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 the case of the first ones in uh, it will it'll be fascinating to look back then and see see where it's gone yeah sure and and you know we shouldn't forget that right now we're in a 
uh, we are in an unprecedented situation. We're in a, a position where um, the pandemic last year had quite severe impacts at both ends of the spectrum. So people who could afford to save were saving more and people who, who couldn't afford to save had even less money. So we've seen a bit of a dichotomy emerge in the market. And it will be interesting to see how that settles as we come through this and move forward. But I suppose the key here is to make sure that we're trying to encourage savings habits amongst those who don't have a lot to save and who need help with that, whilst also offering uh, really smooth and slick processes to those people who who are more affluent and can afford to put a little bit more away so that they feel that their their money's working really hard for them. You're absolutely right. The the pandemic's been really polarizing there. People talk about the kind of accidental savers and the, the huge impact that's had, but it's been polarized with, with people at the other end going completely the other way. And that's having a, a significant impact on the market uh, at the moment, as we've seen with the sort of rate volatility that we're going through currently, mm-hmm. we've talked a huge amount about the changes that have that have come in. The market's changed incredibly in the past decade. Where, where do you see things going in the next three years? If you were to get your crystal ball out, where, what do you think we'll see coming down the track in the future? Well, I suspect we'll see more competitors joining the market. We're already seeing some signals of of people saying, oh, yeah, we might like to get into the UK savings market. It would be interesting to see whether some of the uh, more marketplace based aggregator type um, opportunities really connect with customers because I don't think they've got much of a foothold yet. So I think it'll be interesting to see how they evolve. But actually, I, I do think that the increasing competitiveness is, is a really important point. And it goes back to what I said earlier, which is I just want things to continue to get better for customers. That You know, that's why I came to Atom. That's why I'm really proud of the things that I've achieved here, because I think there's a danger that as, as more people come into the market, it, it could become even more rate-led than it has been in the past. And of course, rate's really important, but it's not the only factor that features in customers' decision-making. So I just hope that people don't lose sight of the fact that they're doing this for customers. And yes, of course, you're running a business at the end of the day and it has to be profitable, but it's important to put the customer at the heart of that and make sure that you do build that trust and engagement and, and give people what they need and what they want so that they can save in a really healthy way uh, for their futures. I agree. I think we'll see more innovation there to focus on customers to help savers, you know, maximise their money. And I think there will be more of a focus on that going forward. See, some of the things seeing that uh, are working towards coming to the the market are definitely coming at it from from that perspective. Mm. We're kind of coming to the end, and there's one question that I ask every guest on here, which is. You've got a free pass. You're your Chancellor of the Exchequer for the day. What, what's the one change sat in Rishi's shoes that you'd make to benefit savers? Well, quite honestly, if I was in his shoes, I would probably be doing probably be doing something else. But let's not get too political. <laughs> uh, to, thinking about benefiting savers, though, it's interesting. We've just been talking about the polarizing impact of of COVID um, and how particularly those in in underprivileged areas, uh, uh, have really struggled with this. And they haven't seen this boom that a lot of more affluent people have been benefiting from. Um, And as I was thinking about this, uh, I I was just considering what's worked well in the past and what I think is missing. 
And as I was casting around, Whitney Houston came into my head singing The Children Are Our Future. And and I, I agree with her. So I think there's something there about some form of, uh, of proposition that's similar to the Child Trust Fund that we saw about 15 years ago, where you put out some sort of means-tested savings account for for children. Because I think that we need to encourage financial education and awareness from a much younger age. Um, and I think connecting with children through their parents by using something like that, but doing it in a really smart way that helps the children to become connected with it and understand what it's there for, could be something that really means we're investing in our future. So that's where I landed. I really like that idea. I think child trust funds initially were were a really good idea. I think they're slightly tainted at the at the moment with some of the issues around them, but mm. um, I think the principle was was quite good. And I, I also think the principle behind uh, what helped to save was set up to achieve was similar um, in focusing on on helping people who can't save or trying to to get started. I think you're right. There's no good just giving the money. It's also got to be kind of tied into improving um the kind of engagement and involvement as well hasn't it I, and I, I don't know what the answer to that is um but i think i think that would be a great area to focus on yeah we've talked with people about how we can help connect their children to financial education and to learning and, and apps are a really great way to do it you know kids are so used to just picking up a phone or or a, a tablet and logging themselves in and playing games on it. So if you can bring some fun, uh, some element of gamification into saving and start children understanding that actually they can earn pocket money for doing this challenge set by their parents and, and that then goes into this savings account and it benefits them, it will benefit them in the long run. It's a really neat way to do it and to start raising that awareness at a very early age. I agree. And I haven't talked with, with teenagers and later teens that they all say, well, yeah, yeah, well, this is the sort of stuff I wish I'd learned at school rather than X, Y, Z, which they didn't enjoy. <laughs> but it is getting in earlier, isn't it? Because it's harder once um, once it's more established. Yeah. Um, that, that would be a really interesting one. I'd, I'd love to think that uh, somebody is beaving away in the treasury looking at that that right now. Well, maybe I should send them a letter, James. <laughs> I, I, def, I, I definitely think you should. Uh, I, I, I think, uh, I think the more we can do in the industry to help, um, the, 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 the better on that. Uh, um, let's hope, let's hope that we do see that uh, as an area of focus fairly soon. Claire, I'm, I'm conscious of time. You've been very generous with with it today. It's been great to talk to you. It, it's been a fascinating journey that, that you and Atom have been on. And thanks for coming on the show and, and sharing it with us. Oh, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, it's Brilliant. great to talk about some of this stuff and, and yeah. uh, hopefully hopefully it provokes some thoughts amongst the listeners. Yeah, definitely. And we'll keep a close eye on uh, on those announcements, both on the financial side of things and, and what what's new coming on the track. And uh, perhaps we'll get you back at a later point in the future and, and, and talk through some of those as well. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thanks, Claire. Mm-hmm.